0: Uh, We are in a series, as was mentioned, called American Gods. And for the last few weeks, Pastor Matt has been taking us through some of the seven deadly sins that are so prevalent in our culture today. The last two weeks, we've looked at lust and sloth. And as a quick aside, Pastor Matt has faithfully and, I I believe, um, uh, beautifully covered these past two topics. So if you have not heard the messages on uh, lust and sloth Please take some time this week. Check it out either on our website or through the Liberty Harrisburg app. Take a listen to those. I I believe they will truly bless you. Uh, This morning, we're going to be stepping into the deep waters of the subject of wrath. Uh, If you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be this morning in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black hardback Bible that Dana mentioned in front of you, which is we will be on page 809. Again, that's Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Now, when I mention wrath, two images may come to mind, either grapes or God. Uh, both have a cultural history of being wrathful, but I believe the purple rapes, grapes to be more wrathful than the green grapes. Uh, but thankfully, scientists have come to the the PR rescue of grapes and have created a crossbreed of grapes that taste like cotton candy. And if you don't believe me, go to Costco, they are delicious. Uh, so hopefully, maybe the grapes can restore a little bit of their dignity and credibility amongst the fruit world. Uh, the other image, as I mentioned, is uh, when, we, when we hear the term wrath, uh, is God. God's wrath. Uh, some parents uh, try to liken themselves to this image. If you're anything like me, when their children misbehave uh, and threaten to cast down their wrath uh, on their children if they don't obey or listen, or just please sit still for five minutes. Uh, but <laughs> the, the Greek word, honestly, this morning that we're going to look at, the, the word wrath in, in the Greek is translated to both um, wrath and anger. It's, it's the, 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 word, the root word is orge, um, and the word orge can be defined as the passioned, displeasure with focus on the emotional aspect of anger. So for the sake of our modern vernacular, I'll be using these words interchangeably this morning. Uh, The use of anger over wrath does not in any way reduce the weight of the word that we're discussing or the topic that we're discussing this morning, Uh, but based on the Greek translation, uh, I believe it's just a little bit more palatable for us to understand and relate to uh, the idea of wrath if we use the term anger. Um, so, like I said, it doesn't—it doesn't reduce at all the weight, because I don't—you know—I I know for me personally, um, I try to use words that aren't as extreme. Sometimes, uh, sometimes I'll use the words "frustrated" instead of "angry." I try to downplay the feeling, but the reality is, that I'm angry, um, and uh, and anger does play into our lives, it plays into. Uh, A lot of aspects of our lives dealing with family and work and driving. Um, In our previous series on the rhythms of grace, we saw the the antithetical position of anger, uh, which is one-anothering. I need, we need to see the impact that anger does have in our lives. Confess it and obey the leading of the Holy Spirit and practice one-anothering. So let us this morning allow the Word of God to expose us and allow the Spirit of God to lead us. So let's get to our passage. Look with me this morning at the very words of God in this book that we love. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offending your gift, if you're, giving your, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there Father, it is for you and by you this morning that we have our life and our breath. Lord, may we this morning have eyes to see and ears to hear. May our hearts be tuned toward the truth of your word, seeing the truth of both who we are and believing the truth of who you are, a holy and just God filled with mercy and grace, patient and long-suffering and love. Father, we thank you for your word, for the revealing truth of your word, for the hope of eternity, and the hope that we have today. Lord, may we bring you glory this morning and every morning that we draw our breath. Amen. Uh, there, are, there are three things um, I hope that we would see this morning in this text. First, God's perfect anger. Secondly, man's misuse Of anger, and third, the gospel's impact on our anger. So, first, uh, if you will, we'll look at God's perfect wrath or anger. Verse 21 You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. When we read here and hear Jesus say, "You have heard that it was said to those of old," he is hearkening back to Moses, to the Israelites at the at the base of Mount Sinai. It is here in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew five through seven, that we see we're seeing that Jesus walks through and explains the Ten Commandments. He opens up to us the meaning in the law. About murder, about adultery, about theft and lying. He's specifically here uh, looking at the, the sixth through tenth commandments. He's talking about these things and these commands that we see from Sinai, established for God's people a law that God both reveals his own position against sin and helps them then to understand more about the nature of who God is, his attributes. God's wrath towards sin has been, from eternity past, a constant of God's nature. God cannot be perfectly loving if God is not perfectly just. God cannot be perfectly just if he does not properly deal with sin. Anger or wrath is perfectly displayed and executed by God at all times from eternity past to eternity future. We see this in Christ who talks more about the realities of hell and the impact um, of sin sending people to hell and the judgment therein than he does talk about heaven in the New Testament. Unfortunately, there are many today who, and as there have been in history, that don't see the consistency with God's wrath throughout the scriptures. They believe that God has changed The the God of the Old Testament is the angry God, and the God of the New Testament has lightened up a little bit. He has become more progressive and hip with the times. This is an old idea, and this is an old heresy called Marcionism, a separation between law and gospel. And what it does, in essence, is it creates these two gods. Uh, But this is not what we see here in Scripture. This is not what we see um, throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, it's not what we even see here relative to the text that we're talking about this morning. Just in, just a, a few verses earlier in Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He comes to fulfill that which only he could. But in so doing, he also displays, displays for us perfectly the immutable or unchanging attributes of God, which include God's wrath or anger, because God in his nature perfectly displays anger. And it would be important for us also to understand that when the Bible speaks of God's anger or wrath, it is being used in an anthropomorphic sense, in a, in, a, in a sense, in a term that helps us to understand the aspect of God in a way that we can most easily relate to. And here, and to hear that God is angry or to, or to preach on God's wrath is, is something that is, that is not common, I feel like, in, in our culture today and that what we hear in popular uh, conversations and preaching. Uh, but, and, and this, this trend is, is becoming more progressive and, um, and something that we see in churches today. We, we don't like to talk about the wrath or the anger of God. It's not not this thing that, that most people find appealing because anger is honestly something that, uh, that terrifies us. Uh, R.C. Sproul had mentioned in, in one, of his, uh, one of his lectures this, this billboard that exists on I-4 in Florida uh, just south of Sanford next to this really great barbecue spot but there's this big giant billboard that says God is not angry and I love R.C.'s response and his kind of gruff Kind of way that he has about his speaking, and he always re- he responded with, "Of course, God is angry. That's what makes him God." This may be troublesome, though, for some of us. This idea of God's anger or wrath—it may be uh, something that upsets us. It may be something that that we almost shrink back from. Uh, but uh, we 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 respond that way because for some way for some reason we can't reconcile the love of God and the wrath of God. We see them as opposites. Uh, but Don Carson explains this really well. This is what he says. He says, our problem in part is that in human experience, wrath and love normally abide in mutually exclusive compartments. Love drives wrath out, or wrath drives love out. We come closest to bringing them together, perhaps in our responses to a wayward act by one of our children. But normally we do not think that a wrathful person is loving. But this is not the way it is with God. God's wrath is not an implacable blind rage. However emotional it may be, it is an entirely reasonable and willed response to offenses against his holiness. At the same time, his love wells up amidst his perfections. And it is not generated by the loveliness of the loved. Thus there is nothing intrinsically impossible about wrath and love being directed toward the same individual or people at once. God and his perfections must be wrathful against his rebel image bearers, for they have offended him. God and his perfections must be loving towards his rebel image bearers, because he is that kind of God. This idea must also point us towards the understanding that because of our sin, our deliberate disobedience towards a holy God, we are all objects of God's perfect anger and wrath. We see this even as God reveals his name to us of Elohim, which means he who is to be feared. God is not some puppy dog that gets to be manipulated or or thought to be controlled never one that is to be subjected to the morals and standards of each age he is the immutable unchanging holy and perfect god from eternity past to eternity future now let us understand and believe the truths of this it is the nature of god to hate sin every sin is an act of cosmic treason towards a perfectly holy, righteous, good God. And this act and the way he responds is a good thing. If God were not this way, sin would go unpunished and would go unpunished for eternity. God would cease then to be God. God would not be truly loving because perfect love casts out sin. In God's perfect anger and wrath, he deals with sin. That is great news sometimes when we're talking about someone else's sin. But he deals with our sins as well. Which is why he says, again in verse 21, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Murder is always out of anger, which is connected to issues of personal pride or hurt. Our natural response to hurt is anger. You can trace every angry emotion back to a sense of hurt, because we feel injustice. Um, this is this is why we, we respond with anger. I, I know that that has been consistently true in my responses to to, to hurt and to and um, is to be angry. Like I want justice for for being hurt when someone. Uh, offends me, or or says something about me. My natural proclivity is to respond in a way that will cause the equal pain or hurt. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I typically just want to go a step further. Like I feel this, I want you to feel that, and a little bit more. Because that's 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 the that's the evil that exists, right? That is the 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 sinfulness in the flesh wanting to come out. I want to feel the retribution of my pain and my hurt. When God gave the commandment not to murder, he knew that the implication of he knew the implication of what he was mandating. The judgment for murder was death, an eye for an eye, not just a physical death, but even a spiritual death, a separation from God for eternity as a lawbreaker. The sense of judgment that we feel is right and good, it is a God-given feeling, but because we are made in the image of God in the Imago day, we too feel a sense of judgment that is required, and yet we miss the target. We miss the target on, on being righteously angry at people, because, again, it's not, it's not just justice that we want, it, it's more than that. So this brings us to our second point, man's misuse or abuse of anger. Verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. It is here that we see Jesus kind of peel back the layer. He goes to the next level. He goes to the heart issue as 1 Samuel 16:7 tells us for the Lord sees not as man sees man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart the Lord can see the intention he can see what's underneath the action this truth claim shows us that it, it shows us that the outward appearance that people see is not the extent to which God sees And it's not only that, but it's not the extent to which God judges. He just doesn't judge based off of what is done, but what is also felt and thought and the motivations that are behind that. But what kind of anger God is talking about here when he says that everyone who is angry with his brother, some older translations will actually qualify this statement. Um, They'll say, angry with his brother without cause, the reason why maybe some of our modern translations such as the ESV uh, omit that because it is not in line with the original text. I believe some of the translators were trying to get to the, the, the heart of that. But we obviously cannot say that, that all anger is bad uh, because the Lord himself perfectly inhabits righteous anger. An anger that, is, that caused Christ himself to fashion a whip and drive out the money changers from the temple, flipping over tables. Um, this is not the only way that we can justify our anger. Um, th- this, this, uh, like if you come to church and start flipping over tables because you're upset, like that's not the way to to have righteous anger. Um, there are other ways in which we can uh, we can image God and being um, upset with, angry with injustices. The question is then: What kind of anger then is justifiable? What kind of how do how do we how do we clarify what is righteous anger? Um, that's that's really hard to to categorize. There's not a list. There is not a box that we can place that in. There's not a way to judge everyone's heart. No, God Himself will do that. But John Stott, the famous theologian and Anglican priest, said this, and I felt I. I found it to be very helpful in, in clarifying this position of what kind of, uh, of anger we should, um, we should inhabit. Uh, he says this, Not all anger is evil, as is evident from the wrath of God, which is always holy and pure. And even fallen human beings may sometimes feel righteous anger. Although being fallen, we should ensure that, that even in this We are slow to anger, slow to allow anger to rise and quick to die down. Luther certainly knew in his own experience the meaning of righteous righteous anger. He called it an anger of love, one that wishes no one any evil, one that is friendly to the person but hostile to the sin. The reference of Jesus then is to unrighteous anger, the anger of pride, vanity, hatred, Malice and revenge. What we see here from this, we can clearly note that there are things about God, uh, things that God is concerned with, that he gets angry about, that we should also be angry about. I should go on to add that if there are things that you are not angry with, there are injustices that are happening, and you merely shrug your shoulders to these injustices or abuses, and it does not invoke anger from you, you may need to check your heart. For if we are to be the people of God, we need to be angry with the things in which God is angry with, and do something about them. Even as, as pacifist as we may be, we cannot go idly by and not let injustice go without our involvement in the process of stopping it. Now, the pendulum swing from righteous anger and being angry with the things that God is angry with, namely the sin that exists in our own lives, but the pendulum swing to the other direction is where we as broken and sinful humanity fail to understand what we should not be angry with. There are things that are not injustices, as Stott mentions, things that invoke our anger, uh, which find their home in our pride, vanity, hatred, malice, and revenge those things that we see in our own lives should be seen as the enemy of God and the enemy of our hearts which need to and deserve to be ripped out, plucked out, and mortified. Because God looks at the heart of man, so when Jesus says that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, the same judgment then God condemns in the previous verse of murder he will condemn in the hatred, um, which, which is death. It's the same, it, it, it equates to the same sin. Murder and hatred both receive the same result, the same end. They are sins which put us in a damnable state. The issue of anger in the heart may not be as noticeable in the outworkings of our lives. Um, But the verbalization of these angers sometimes comes out um, in in different places. It comes out as we uh, are, we call it short tempered. Maybe you have a short fuse. That really is just an outworking then of the anger that does exist inside of us. I know that uh, in my own life, there are things that I think, grudges that I hold, anger that I allow to affect my disposition and a great barometer for me in my life is my wife. Like, she sees it. She notices when my disposition will change. Uh, She's able to see, if you will, the tip of the iceberg of anger and frustration, Um, and what my heart is really then communicating. And sometimes, honestly, she is the object of my anger. She's the object of my wrath, because no one can anger me like my wife. Husbands and wives that are out there, I hope this is true for you. Um, Because no one should be able to speak into my life more than my wife. No one's words carry more weight than my wife's words. And so when she says something or does something that um, I don't like, I get angry. Um, And coming into a very close second in my life are my three boys whose words and actions affect me to degrees that other children never will. I can be perfectly patient with other people's children, but if my child does the same exact thing, I really, I wanna, I wanna be Zeus in those moments. Pull out a lightning bolt and strike them down, or at least around them, so they get a little freaked out. And I'm often, um, I'm often just frustrated and likely to express my frustration um, in ways that may not seem extreme, may not seem uh, like a big deal, like calling someone an idiot while they're driving because they cut me off. Um, you know, this this on ramp right here onto f- 1115 um, will cause that in anyone. I really believe that. Um, just a little bit longer. You need just a little bit more, Pennsylvania. Um, I love you, but we need to work on some things. But like, like these, like I said, these are like the things that well up in us. And like, if we're not in a place to um, that allows incidents like these to um, to not be as extreme, um, then I think that there it really does reveal our hearts. Um, it points to, to verse 22. Uh, he says, uh, he who insults his brother, he will be liable to the council. And he who says, you fool, will be liable to hellfire. And my son is now picking up on my bad habits. Um, he is helping me drive and helping me like identify which drivers are not good drivers. And he's six. Um, so in like ten years, I'm fearful if like we do not course correct the things that may come out of his mouth when he begins driving. Um, but that, that points to just the, the anger and the wrath that exists and, and now gets poured out in ways that are unhealthy and against God's mandate to love my neighbor. These kinds of quick insults and judgments, uh, they sometimes appear to come out of nowhere. You know, you're having a a great drive with your family. Uh, You're uh, at a game, whatever it is, and something happens. Someone does something that's not wise, it's not safe. And then out of nowhere, you're having a pleasant conversation, and then, like, like, the anger and wrath, like, laser beam comes out of your eyes and just attacks, and your words verbalize these things. Um... If I can be honest, these outbursts are not coming out of thin air. No, in fact, these outbursts are coming from my heart. They're coming from our heart. Passing judgments on people and situations that I know nothing about. That just reveals the condition, like I said, of my heart that I am sinful and in need of repentance. That love for my neighbor is not as important as my priority that I feel like I should have in traffic. I'm even convicted when I make similar moves, right? Like you know, you're, you're, you're waiting to, to merge and you just can't merge and then all of a sudden you're like I just, I gotta get in, I gotta cut somebody off. And you're like this is justifiable if they knew that I had no room left or I needed to get over. So you, so you cut the guy off and you're like hey, sorry. Um, and you keep going. Um, like if I'm the guy behind me, I get angry at me sometimes. So that convicts me of like, I just made a dumb move, and, uh, and the guy behind me didn't honk. He didn't, he didn't throw up his arms in the air. Like, how, how wicked am I? How, how, how broken a- a- am I? You know, these outbursts of a loose tongue are a result of a sinful heart, uh, of a man who has not found his rest and understanding in Christ but himself, because none of these outbursts are good for our children, like I said, they're not good for our neighbor, and they should convict our own souls. These quick outbursts and cuts reveal the lack of grace and love that exists and should exist within us because of Christ. So again, God sees our heart, and if you are anything like me, has waited and found it wanting. Thankfully, for those in Christ, we see that there is hope. Christ steps into our hopeless state and tells us here in verse three exactly how the gospel impacts our anger. So that's our third point this morning, our final point, the gospel impact on our anger. Uh, Read with me again verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you were going with him to the court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. When we read that and we see the phrase, if you are offering your gift, it tells us Um, that that this is being directed to those who love God and who are offering their gift and are present in worship and who are, if you will, uh, believers in Jesus Christ. It is not for the unbelieving amongst us to take the first step. This is also why it says, remember that your brother has something against you. This is very important. I've I've always read this, like, that I have something against my brother, so I need to go, like, I need to deal with the sin. No, this is... (laughs) This is so revealing of the, the, the restorative nature of God that your brother has something against you. It means that I need to be aware of the people around me. Brothers and sisters, we need to take this first step of reconciliation because of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we need to humble ourselves and go to those who we have offended and who have offended us and begin the reconciliation process with them. Don't let anger run and control us. Let this be the mark of love that we leave the communi- that we love and we lead in the communities that we inhabit. As 2 Corinthians 5:18 says, says, and all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to do to entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Let us make sure that we don't fall into the same traps of the Pharisees and thinking that although we have not committed murder or maybe we are not like super angry with people that we have kept God's commands. The work that Christ has done to unpack what God meant in the law, which was to point out from the law, from the beginning, to show us that we are in desperate need of a Savior. Not to give us a list to check and go, I am good based off of this. And Jesus gave us the new list, which is to love the Lord God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. The new law is love. We need a savior to help us love well. We need the Holy Spirit to help us love well, to humble ourselves, to go into our communities, to be the ministers of reconciliation, not to hold on to anger, not to hold on to quick jabs and quick cuts and allow those things to define us. We have way too many bad examples of that today. That once we are offended, we just respond with an equal cut or a greater cut. Those are poor examples, and shame on them for putting themselves out there as those examples. Let us, therefore, respond with love and kindness and generosity. Don't let anger run and rule our lives. If we are only to be judged on how we have kept the holy standard uh, of God, then that would be uh, enough, but if we are, uh, it, if we have only this anger um, as, our, as our check and balance, if we look to only anger um, on whether or not we are angry to, to see if we have fulfilled uh, the law of God, each and every one of us would fail that test. Each and every one of us, I believe and I trust because we are all fallen humanity has fallen into the trap of anger. We've been angry at our family, at friends, at standers by in traffic. It is very easy, and if that, was, if that was the standard and the only thing that we had to keep, we would still fall short. Every one of us would fall short. In God's loving and just mercy, he has poured out Um, His wrath on His Son for sinners. Christ imputes His righteousness to us. Christ, the law keeper, the good shepherd, guides us to the still waters of His amazing grace. It is because of this that we can practice the ancient tradition of passing the peace, as Bob mentioned this morning, because Christ is our, our peace. We too can experience and pass the peace of Christ to one another. This is also why you you heard Bob say this morning, um, if you need to go and be reconciled to another or forgive another, begin that process now. How can you be reconciled to your brother if you're angry with them? By the grace and mercy of God. And because God commands you to do so, he will also help and guide you uh, in that reconciliation by his spirit. Take that first step We cast our burdens on Christ. And when we are angry, you can almost always, like I said, trace that back to pain. So we take that pain to our Lord, who has reconciled us to himself on the tree. And therefore, we can go and be reconciled to our brothers and sisters. The truth of God's message, uh, that we who were once far off have now been reconciled to God because of the work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection of of, of Christ, and forms the way in which we should, we should process our anger, think about our anger, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, enact our anger in good and holy ways, not in prideful ways. This is why um, in Ephesians 4.26, it says this, it says, be angry and do not sin, which is a way of informing us that of, of what we should be angry about, the things that you can be angry and not sin in. But it is also revealing to us the law of love of which the believers, like I said, are now under. Not, not the Decalogue, not the Ten Commandments, but the law of love uh, is where we find our own reconciliation to God and therefore can be reconciled to, to, to others. And this is why, honestly, here at Liberty, what we've been trying to emphasize and will consistently put in front of you are the 55 one-anothers that we find in Scripture. This is, this is how we love each other. This is how we do life together. This is the, the way in which we inform how we interact with each other is through these 55 one-anothers found in scripture. Because we will fail in this, we will get angry uh, for unwarranted and unrighteous reasons. Um, We can't use that as an excuse, though, to not repent of those things. As, As Paul says in Romans, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Let it not be so. Do not accept your anger as just something that that's part of who you are. That's part of you know, my history. My dad was an angry guy, so I'm an angry guy. Those are not excuses for the believer because we have been bought, we've been given a new heart, and we are renewing our mind constantly in Christ Jesus. Do not allow those excuses to rule and run your life. And so how do we approach these things? Verse 25 and 26 say this, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and put you in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. How, when do we reconcile? When do we go forward? When do we put away anger? Doing this quickly, doing this swiftly will reveal our heart and, for, and to whom your heart lies with. But also because of the reality that time, um, because of the reality that time has on her. I have heard so many stories of family members who fight and get angry at each other and have these terrible, terrible disagreements. And then years and years of distance and not seeing each other and not communicating because they're angry at their sibling or they're angry at their parent. And time goes by and distance has created and they have children and sometimes grandchildren. And then all of a sudden, by the grace of God, there's a moment where they're like, you know, someone is dying, someone is sick, something tragic happens. They get together, they talk. The question is asked, why did this begin what happened, what was the disagreement. I remember one couple, it was, it was sisters, they got angry at each other like 16 and 17, never spoke to each other until they were in their 60s. And they didn't realize, they couldn't remember what they were angry about. They just knew that they were angry. They couldn't remember the thing. And then someone says, wasn't it over like, she took your dress and wore it on a date? She's like, I think that was it, but I'm not sure. Years had passed, children had been born, families were established, and they knew none of each other. This is the effect that anger can have on our lives if we're not quick to reconcile with one another. Do not let anger rule you. We cannot wait to reconcile ourselves to our family, reconcile ourselves to our neighbors. Yeah. Something may have happened and it may have been terrible. But you know what's more terrible is our offenses to God. And yet, He has reconciled Himself to us. Let us not wait. Put away anger, put away wrath, and be reconciled to our families, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our colleagues. I'll close with this statement from John Stott. I love the way he puts this. He says, Yet how seldom do we heed Christ's call for immediacy of action. If murder is a horrible crime, malicious anger and insults are horrible too. And so is every deed, word, look, or thought by which we hurt or offend our fellow human being. We need to be more sensitive about these evils. We must never allow an estrangement to remain, still less even grow. We must not delay to put it right. We must must not even allow the sun to set on our anger. But immediately, as soon as we are conscious of broken relationship, we must take the initiative to mend it to apologize for the grievance we have caused, to pay the debt we have left unpaid, to make amends. And these extremely practical injustices Jesus drew out from the sixth commandment and its logical implications. If we want to avoid committing murder in God's sight, we must take every possible positive step to live in peace and love with all men. How gracious is God, that he would put away his anger and wrath to the believer in Christ. On the cross, he no longer holds these things against us. Praise be to God, the forgiver of sins, the one who reconciles angry men and women to himself, and the one, the only one, who can change our hearts.